is the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, and we're committed to the success of women entrepreneurs and majority women-owned companies across Canada. As a proud partner of the Thrive Podcast, we're here to help you start, grow, or scale your business. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women today. Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Thrive Podcast for Women Entrepreneurs. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. Hi, everyone. It's Kayla, and I'm thrilled to introduce our guest host on the Thrive Podcast, Sharon Chung. Sharon's sharp and entrepreneurial mind has made waves in the Ottawa startup scene, and we are so excited to have her on the Thrive Podcast for Women Entrepreneurs for the next few weeks. Turn up the volume, tune in, and give it up for Sharon. You're listening to the Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. On the Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and other support to help you make your vision reality faster. The Thrive Podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization supporting Canada's entrepreneurs to succeed. This podcast is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcast to subscribe to the Thrive community and make sure to subscribe to listen on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Finally, we'd love for you to rate this podcast. Leave a review on iTunes for a chance to have it read on air. We want these shows to impact as many people as possible and your reviews will help get us there. I'm your host, Sharon Chung, creator and host of In Good Company, an online video series that makes those meaningful but often inaccessible conversations on life and career open and available to all. Welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to have Megan Cornell, CEO and Chief Ideas Officer for Momentum Business Law and Momentum Law Labs. Before we, we get into it, I'll just quickly read your, your bio here, Megan. You've spent a decade of your practice working in big law, learning what all sizes of businesses of, of, and all types of industries need to succeed. And along the way, Megan, you've developed a philosophy of client care, which is based on clients driving the firm and its direction. Uh, you've kept a close eye on tech developments and knew that technology could be put to better use to provide more timely, more accurate, and more affordable business law services. In 2012, Megan decided to bring her philosophy and technology together to create Momentum, a new kind of business law firm dedicated to providing complete business law solutions to clients in a way that works for clients. Megan believes that Momentum needs to grow and evolve at the same pace as any other business and welcomes the continuing evolution of business and the business law. Welcome to the show, Megan. Oh, thank you. That's such a great introduction. I feel like I have a lot to live up to now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it's going to be a great episode. I, I have a few questions for you relating to, uh, you know, innovation and its and its uh, alignment with the legal world. Um, before we start, what's one thing that you do want entrepreneurs listening along to take away from our conversation today? I'm going to go back to that innovation word, um, and I I hope that you know people haven't tuned out the minute you said lawyer or turned off the <laughs> podcast and they're still listening you know we're we're in the services based industry and that's what we focus on and lots of entrepreneurs are in services based industries but lawyers have this reputation for being particularly non-innovative um, and that's certainly not the lens we bring to how we run our business, but it allows us to see the success in our clients and and who are all entrepreneurs themselves. Um, and, and really the consistency there is looking at um, what you do as an entrepreneur and how to do it slightly differently. And you may not think of yourself as an innovative person, but the businesses that we see consistently succeed are the ones that, you know, identified as innovative or not, are looking at a way to run their business a little more innovatively or provide an innovative service or they've just invented something completely new and novel and and are totally owning the fact that they're innovating um, and, and really that's the consistency that we see in success with our clients mm. and I, I I know for a lot of entrepreneurs law can be a bit of a blind spot <laughs> so I, I'm sure more were actually clicking along on and thinking I need to hear everything that Megan has to say. <laughs> <laughs> so it, with that, uh, I'd like to learn more about what your inspiration was for starting Momentum Law. What was the problem you saw that you knew you could address? Sure. So I left uh, about seven or eight years ago. I left and, and knew I, I wanted to go out on my own. And it was largely driven by the fact that although I worked with great people who I still love to this day, um, I really felt like we weren't being very proactive with our clients. Um, so we were, you know, a fantastic law firm doing really uh, very much what our clients asked us to do, but we weren't being that true business partner um, that I saw um, lawyers being able to evolve into being where you're really helping guide, be proactive and find solutions to your clients that aren't just driven by um, the worst possible thing about our industry, which is how much you can bill your clients for your time. So I knew I wanted to do something different than the billable hour, which is what we call it in our industry. And lawyers love and hate it, but mostly hate it. Um, but still, most people use it. So I knew we could do something a lot different there because clients hate it too. Clients don't like the thought of, I'm going to hire you and I'm going to get a bill and never know what it's going to be in advance. You're just going to spend as much of your time as you think either you need to or you can get away with one or the other. Um, and so, you know, novel idea, tell a client up front what the particular service is going to cost as much as you possibly can. Um, and lots of what we, the work we do for entrepreneurs, we're very able to do that. Not all lawyers are able to do that, but a lot of what we are able to do with entrepreneurs, we can put a flat fee on it. Um, so not too innovative sounding in a lot of industries, but crazy innovative in law. <laughs> 
Yeah, and in seven years ago, I knew I didn't yet understand how, but I knew a lot of the answer to that was managing um, being more efficient through technology. So if I could be uh, use technology for us to deliver those, you know, core services really, really efficiently, then we could very profitably say this is how much we charge for this service, and even better, be able to t- spend the time that we spend with the client really understanding their business and um, you know helping identify problems that they maybe even haven't identified yet but all of that being wrapped into the product which is at a flat fee for the client and we're you know we're so efficient at providing it that we can spend that extra time um, understanding the client and their business. So I knew that that was what was motivating me. I just had no clue how to pull it all together and make it happen yet. Yeah, so that upfront costing for entrepreneurs can make such a big difference when they live in a world of uncertainty. And everything's so personal in a lot of ways because it's their business that they're building. Maybe it has a specific meaning that's very personal to them, right? So uh, that level of transparency and trust is very very big news, and it's very different. So I, I think that that it actually uh, can can just shift or create a really big shift in the industry overall. Yeah, and and what you said there is really important, which is the trust that it builds, um, and being able to park um, the cost question. Uh, early in the conversation about the the support that the client needs, and then just focus on on how to help the client through this particular, whether it's a new contract they need, whether it's resolving a small dispute, whether it's getting financing, whatever it is. Um, we've parked the the costing question, um, and it, and there are things that we need to do by the hour because it's it's too uncertain what the client needs, they don't know, etc. But you know. Being, being upfront about your pricing and then keeping the client up to date on what the costs are as they come uh, shouldn't be a novel concept. And again, I'm quick to say, you know, it's that's not just law that does that. You, I think, as a service provider should never, ever surprise your client with a bill if, it, if you can help it. Sometimes, you know, things spiral out of control really fast and, and a couple days worth of intense work produces, you know, that the client wanted done can produce a big bill and, and we manage, you know, we manage that as quickly as we can while we go. But um, I think it's something that all entrepreneurs, particularly in the service industry, um, shouldn't be uncomfortable about. And, and maybe as Canadians, we're particularly uncomfortable talking about money and how much things cost um, or think that it's a bad part of the sales cycle. Um, and and I, I disagree. I think that getting it out of the way early in the relationship and the sales cycle builds a trust um, where someone feels a lot more comfortable talking to you about um, everything that they might need. Mm. And especially with, you know, not to overly generalize, but uh, women historically have had different relationships with money uh, individually as as well within business. So I'd like to learn from a legal perspective, what are the first things women entrepreneurs should know based on um, that that need for for understanding right off the bat? Yeah, that's it's an interesting point. And I've resisted that concept of us as female entrepreneurs having certain characteristics for ages, and yet there is some consistencies. They can't be ignored. And so we're going to call it 
you know, focus on it as, as perhaps female characteristics or, or stereotypical female characteristics. But if you have these characteristics, you have them regardless of your gender, right? Um, and, and for sure, having a really clear understanding of, um, of your budget and, and the costs of things are is really important um, going forward. Um, but the other thing that I think is really important and where I I tend to see perhaps a bit of a gender um, consistency is not um, kind of budgeting in your timeline for how long everything takes. And I don't know if it's because as women, we're used to just being able to get things done and we dig deep and we get them done. And so we think, okay, I would take this long to do it. And it's, if I say it's going to take this long, it's going to take this long and I deliver on it. And so you come up with a whole um, plan that has you getting to market with whatever it is you're, you're bringing to market in a certain amount of time. And then you, you know, so you factor in costs around that and, and build a whole plan around that. And then inevitably across the board in business everything takes really really long um so now i'm going to generalize once again on gender and and again this is not something may you know other gender uh identities may also have this characteristic but i think as women uh in particular i see a trend where we want to provide a perfect um full product. So we have a vision for something and we are reluctant to release that product until it meets our initial expectation. And when you f when you layer that on top of everything takes longer than you wanted it to take, I think it's one of the reasons that um, regardless of gender, you can get frustrated in business and say, I give up, it's never going to happen, I'm going back to my day job. Um, and so one of the things that that I encourage is to accept those realities from the start and think about how you can get something to market that's not perfect, um, that you can test the market that you want to be in with a very small wedge of your product or service, um, see how it goes, but you've gotten something out to market and ideally you've started some revenue coming um, and then you can tweak it and go, etc. but not to wait until everything's perfect and looks exactly like your vision board. <laughs> you know, if you've done your vision board, um, this, you know, you, I think we, I, I think as a gender and I hope no one's getting mad at me for saying that, I do think that we have this um, perception that everything has to be exactly um, the, the end goal. And that could be years away. And we're going through that right now with a, a product that we're building, a software product um, for to be released by the law firm. And I, I've personally experienced this in the last few months. So I'm talking from not just, you know, my lawyer lens, but my actual entrepreneur lens, um, that sometimes you got to get 1.0 out the door and it's not going to have every feature you wanted it to have. Um, and it's it's not going to be remotely close to, to the vision you started with. Um, but it gets the conversation started, you get 
revenue started and you get to see what people are using, how they're using your product um, and what's really popular and then tweak it before you've spent years investing in it. That, that done is done, right? <laughs> you know, the, the we're in this really great place in society right now where we're talking about the need to shift away from perfectionism and let go and, and just put out to, to the market uh, what you have and then you can grow it and involve it from there and I totally that totally resonates with me it's it's something that's hard for me when I'm building a product to to just uh, let the work speak for itself even though uh, it's certainly not the best but that's also how artists work right like the that exceptional piece that took them years to create they had to craft the skills to get there and build the experience uh, and mindset to get there as well yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, our, our mantra around here is perfect is the enemy of done. And in done, the word done itself is a, you know, should be a, you know, process. It's, you know, you most entrepreneurs are never done. Um, but nonetheless, if you're going for perfection, you're never going to come to even your first done, let alone your 10th done. So um, that that's that's sort of my non my non-lawyer answer I guess my my more entrepreneurial answer um and and yeah I, I do think there could be a gender factor there but dismiss that put that out of your mind regardless of why you're you're trying to be perfect um you know know that there's uh there's a whole lot to be said um to the success of your company if you can get out there and get something you know even really small out there that starts um, you learning about how your product or service is going to be received. And for entrepreneurs, we all we all make mistakes, right? So, what are the more common mis- legal mistakes that entrepreneurs tend to make? Uh, such a good question. <laughs> um, I'm going to say the number one question, uh, number one mistake is not putting things on paper. Um, and that's a pretty broad-ranging um, mistake, but it is, and by paper I mean virtual as much as possible, but nonetheless, um, having contracts it sounds a little more legalistic. Um, but basically, from your very first starting out of the gate, you have a business partner, you have an investor, etc. Um, a lot of things are still done in the early days of a business um, without clarity and you think you have clarity on it and the person that you're dealing with whether they're a supplier a customer um, or a business partner um, or an investor think they have clarity but until it's written down in detail you don't realize that your clarity and their clarity are wrong are not aligned completely Mm. Um, and lots of times that that's okay Um, but we have I want to say once or more a month, we have conversations with uh, a business owner who started a business with a business partner and they didn't document it. Um, And they no longer can work together for whatever number of reasons. There's lots of them. And they are at a complete stalemate uh, in the business. And the business can and will die in those situations Um, and that goes back to listen we just got to get out the gate and it's not you know it's not about spending money on lawyers per se but um, it's about having created some kind of structure and when it's put down on paper um, with the more detail the better then you understand you recognize what 
you're not aligned on. So, you know, what if one of you wants to up and and move to uh, British Columbia to surf? You you give up um, wanting to be an entrepreneur. You know, is the business just left behind? Do you lose all ownership in the last five years that you helped grow it, etc.? So there's there's lots of fundamental questions whether um, you do have that business partner, whether you're dealing with a supplier, you've hired someone to build your website and, you know, you do it on the basis of a couple emails back and forth. And then you realize there's a bunch of things that the website provider, the builder should have had in a, in a written agreement with you and you're $10,000 in the hole and they've completely messed everything up and, and you're set back months because your website's not ready. So regardless of what that relationship is, it should be written down and the more detail, the better. And if you don't want to hire a lawyer, that's okay. Um, you know, just put something down in paper yourselves. Um, I'm going to say something I hate to even hear come out of my mouth. Google. <laughs> um, the whole reason we're creating the software platform we're creating is because we don't want people using Google. We want to put good, uh, very cheap um, legal information in people's hands. But do something to find a structure um, to put that put whatever the relationship is in writing and your ability to resolve future problems uh, goes up exponentially because you've written stuff down. Mm. You're really just investing that clarity. You're just investing in yourself when, when you put pen to paper. Totally agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Now, Megan, women entrepreneurs are more likely to be sole proprietors uh, the majority of the time. When should women consider incorporating their business? Great question that we answer several times a week. <laughs> um, so we have three um, three factors that we always recommend on. Um, one is if your business is risky or has the chance basically of you getting sued, um, you should always have insurance against that risk anyway. Um, but nonetheless, if you're in a business where the the opportunity for someone, um, whether it's to get injured or, um, you know, have, have a large financial loss because of what you're doing exists, then we recommend incorporating so that your, your customers are doing business with a company and not you as an individual. Um, the next reason to do it is tax. And for that, we say, go talk to your accountant. <laughs> Always talk to your accountant. Um, in fact, it's the first question we ask somebody who comes to us to incorporate is, have you discussed this with an accountant? Um, and it used to be that having a corporation had more tax advantages um, than it does now. Um, recent tax changes sort of reined in some of what you could do within a corporation. Um, but there still are tax advantages. And um, particularly if if you're not a sole proprietor, there's, there's tax advantages or if you have um, people working for you, which leads into the third point that we always ask, which is, um, do you as a sole proprietor have employees um, or contractors? And again, 
better to have those relationships with a corporation than you um, personally because your risks are greater when you have employees. So if you are a sole proprietor providing um, services that aren't particularly risky and you basically spend what you make each year, um, you're, you're sort of living off of what you make as a sole proprietor, there's probably not a lot of reasons to incorporate and take on the additional costs it costs to incorporate the company. And then going forward, of course, you have to do another tax filing every year, um, as well as some legal document creation every year. Um, so, you know, between your, your tax preparation and your, we call them annual resolutions um, that are required for a, for a corporation, if you're not saving at least that much by incorporating or minimizing your risk, then it's probably not the right time for you to incorporate. Mm. And, and so when entrepreneurs are typically starting out, there's so many decisions that need to be made. Uh, who do I hire first? Where do I focus my resources? Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, why is it important for entrepreneurs to eff- have effective legal counsel from day one? So I, th- I think of it as a relationship that you're investing in, um, in the same way that having a good family doctor um, is a, an important relationship if you're lucky enough, frankly, <laughs> right now to have a good family doctor relationship. Um, it's it's sort of your your go to um, relationship with as an entrepreneur with a business lawyer um, to be able to ask little questions, um, make sure you're on the right track, and get referrals out, very importantly, to um, other specific help that might be outside that lawyer's um, expertise. And if you have that relationship from day one, um, a good good relationship will mean that they troubleshoot for you before you even realize um, that you might have a problem there. Um, And they understand your business. So when you do have a quick question you can call up and you know get a consultation um, and they already understand what you're doing they understand the the people involved in the business and um, ideally if they hear of something um, you know happening in the law or something um, regulation coming in that might affect your business it will trigger them to let you know, hey, have you heard about this? Is this something um, that that you want to consider getting, uh, thinking through with your business, etc. And if you don't that have that relationship <laughs> or that place to go for quick legal information, then you're most likely to end up on Dr. Google, as I like to call it. Um, which, you know, it's like I'm the first one to say Google has lots of great legal information. The problem is you can't sort what actually relevant to you um, very well. Sometimes it's really obvious that this applies to you and gives you your answer right away. Um, But sometimes it's not really at all relevant um, to your business, to Ontario or Canada, and you're left scratching your head. Um, So if you can find somebody to have that family doctor style relationship with early on, um, you're going to have that sort of insurance of knowing I've got somewhere to turn when I need a little bit of guidance. 
I, I love that family doctor uh, analogy, especially as entrepreneurs start thinking about scaling up their business um, following that, that startup stage. What, what do they need to consider from a legal perspective as they start scaling up? I'm going to sound like a broken record, but contracts, contracts, contracts. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true. It's the most important thing as you grow your business, again, is to have everything in writing. And it's so easy to forget that. There's no blame, you know, associated with with getting ahead of yourself in terms of the documenting. Um, But, you know, simple you know, you're getting an investment and you're not sure, you know, should the the person be investing um, as debt or are they going to buy shares in your company, etc. Um, sometimes people actually take money into their company without papering that. And that's wonderful, trusting relationship that allowed that to happen. Um, but it's a really good way to mess up future growth because, again, the expectations that everybody has aren't aligned necessarily and a conversation where the language is tricky where you're not really sure did you know is the language I'm using I'm selling equity in my business what the heck does that even mean Um, and the minute it's down on paper um, it allows people to sort of say oh wait I don't actually really understand this Um, what you know what what does this mean and um, as you grow as you scale there will be more and more people that are going to want to see that paper um, and know that you've got your relationships well documented if they're going to do business with you, um, even even hire you um, to provide your service or your product to them. They may have questions about, you know, are you still, if we invest in in you providing this service, are you still going to be around in five years? And and they they want um, some assurances and sometimes you have to do what we call due diligence Uh, where you show um, your business partners um, your paperwork and who owns shares in your company, etc. So uh, paperwork from day one, absolutely, but as you grow, it becomes more and more and more important. And uh, keeping in track with papers, what about IP? Yes, intellectual property if it's remotely relevant to your business, and that includes your trademark, um, your brand name. Obviously, everyone thinks about patents um, as intellectual property, but your brand, if you're not inventing things, you still have really important intellectual property, which is your brand. Um, And making sure that you protect your brand as well as anything you've actually created, um, or uh, whether that's patent or copyright, um, is really, really important for both investment and if you want to be able to exit your company eventually, sell it to somebody. If you can't demonstrate that you own your brand, um, that you've, you've continued to protect your brand, let alone patents or copyright, the value of your business is seriously, seriously impacted. And your obligation to protect your intellectual property starts basically immediately upon you creating it. So if you've been using as a sole proprietor, if you've been using a business name um, and you just sort of got so used to that being who you are that you never... um, got around to trademarking it, you might have incorporated and used the name when you incorporated. Um, but nonetheless, it, it could be that you haven't protected the trademark in Canada. You haven't checked, is the is the somebody else using that 
that trademark in the United States, for example, and you have a company that is interested in buying you and they're from the U.S. and they plan to expand into the U.S. and then they realize that they can't expand your brand in the U.S., um, you know, that relationship could evaporate pretty quickly. Um, so we don't do that kind of lot momentum, but it is one of the things that we harass our clients about the most considering we don't do it <laughs> and make sure that you're talking to the appropriate person to get it done. Now, Megan, we are getting a lot of really good and free legal advice for you, from you. Great. Happy to help. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, the I'm going to try to squeeze as much of perspective from you as I can, especially because of the the evolution of how you you've changed the the look and feel of of business law. And uh, so, my next question is for entrepreneurs who are, you know, considering mergers or acquisitions. What's something that they sh should be aware of or consider? The most important point to file away in your mind is that you should actually be thinking about it from the day you start your business. And that's an awkward thing to broach uh, with an entrepreneur because an, an awful lot of entrepreneurs don't like can't even conceive of the idea that they might one day leave their business. It's very personal to them. Um, but there are so many things that increase the value of your business, um, ideally from day one, but it's never too late to start. <laughs> um, so regardless of what your business is, um, if you, it, you know, if there's something to sell, um, and if there's, if the, sh if the first answer is, I'm not sure there is, then that's another conversation, um, about how we can make sure there is something to sell. Um, but if there's something to sell, you want to be doing the things to maximize value. And a lot of that starts with, can I pull myself out of the business and the business still run? Um, and that's a really key factor to having something to sell. Um, and so that will look at um, all your relationships, your documentation, um, how clean those the documentation, again, go figure, I'm going to talk about it again, how clean the documentation is in all your relationships. Um, whether you're, you know, if you're in a services-based business and you want to sell the company, to somebody, do your contracts with your clients allow you to transfer those client those contracts to somebody else? Um, because if they don't, the value of your business is different. Um, a big a big difference in terms of being acquired your company, assuming you're incorporated, or whether you are going to sell the assets of your company. And those are two very different things that, again, require um, certain legal background to make sure that one can happen or the other can happen. Um, and they have different tax consequences to the business owner. So it's almost always better for you to sell shares of your company. But for that to be an attractive option, to the person that that's looking to buy your business, um, you have to have certain things in place. So you you have to be able to say that you know exactly who owns part of your company, um, and that you've not kind of been gaily handing out shares of your company to people when you couldn't afford to pay them, which is a common common startup thing to do. Um, I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. It happens uh, an awful lot, um, and can be really beneficial to the people getting uh, shares in your startup. Um, so, uh, you know, understanding all those things so that you're best poised to get 
top dollar for your company if and when it happens. And then um, also make sure that it doesn't falter when you get partway through um, partway through the relationship of selling the company. And then that can be a really um, humbling and painful experience to go through. So the more confidence you go into the, that whole negotiation with, um, the better. And we call that, you know, a, am I ready to sell my business checkup? And we, because we go through this process with clients all the time when they're actually selling their company, uh, you know, our firm and, and lots of other legal advisors, as well as accountants, offer that kind of like, give me a report card, tell me, you know, what's good and, and what what would look, um, you know, like a factor that should lower the value of our company um, if we were to look at being acquired. So do that even like long before somebody might acquire you, um, because then you can also say, okay, so I need... If, if I want to increase the value of my company, I need to look at having these sorts of relationships um, with people and having, okay, I've got contracts that don't look good. As I renegotiate those contracts over the course of my business, um, I'm going to make sure that there's new terms in them that will allow me to do the things to maximize my value. All right. So listeners, you've gotten a good teaser of the kind of insight that you could learn from Megan and her team. I'm going to make the next question, the last question, actually, uh, and our best question. Where can entrepreneurs go to learn more about Momentum Law? They can go to www.momentum.law make it very easy for you and uh, before too long www.gainmomentum.law is going to be our DIY plus it is our DIY plus platform which is going to be live pretty soon oh I like that and so you're based out of Ottawa but uh, do do your services cover uh, most of a certain region Yeah, all of Ontario, um, and then we have a lawyer in Quebec as well, and BC, and we pull in help for across Canada as it's needed. Okay. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Megan. It's been such a pleasure uh, learning from you, especially from a legal perspective, which I do not have, (laughs) so (laughs) observing all the way through. Well, thanks. It was uh, it was great to chat with you today and um, happy to answer questions today. And that is our business is answering your questions. So anything uh, people have questions about in the future, you know where to find us now. Yes. And, and uh, do you have uh, social, like social media accounts? Yes, on pretty much. Well, we're not doing TikTok yet because nobody wants to see lawyers dance. Um, But you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, you name it. Okay, well, for those that are listening, uh, if you like what you're hearing, share it as your Instagram story. Tweet at us, tweet at Momentum Law. um, And if you've gotten something out of this episode, share it and let others know about it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this week's Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, 
BDC and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook resources for women entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rivers Corbett and to plug into the Startup Canada network. Until next time, I'm Sharon Chung and it's time to thrive.